Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. We hope that this message inspires you and helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, a massive hello to you again, and it is great to have the chance to be able to share with you actually the final part of our series, Address the Mess. And today we're landing this series. And so if you've been with us from the very beginning over the past few weeks, I want to applaud you. You are awesome. And perhaps you're just tuning in for the first time in this series. Totally fine. You can go back and listen to any of the previous uh, segments of this series. But today I'm pumped to be able to to bring it to a close. And as we just saw in that, um, I guess, that amazing story of what's taken place through the daily bread and what you're part of as a church community. Um, We hear so many stories about horrible things happening in the world and areas where things are broken and things are wrong. But make no mistake, there is so much good happening in the world. And I want to applaud you and thank those of you who partner with the mission here at Suncoast Church to bring the message of Christ in all its beautiful and varied forms to the people who need it the most. You're making such a big difference in people's lives. And if you are just joining us for the first time, I'm super grateful you found yourself on our channel here in our station or watching along. And I would love you to check out all of our online platforms. I'd love to hear from you. And uh, it's just a privilege to have you here today. Now, this series, we've called it Address the Mess. And we've looked at a whole lot of areas where we've talked about taking personal responsibility, perhaps for addressing things in our own lives that have been messy or out of place. We've been looking at making sure we don't neglect things that need attention. And also, how we can personally as individuals through our faith in Jesus Christ uh, minister to needs that come across our path. We've looked at a whole lot of these different areas. But what I want to do today to finish is take a unique take. And it's not so much looking at our personal response to this idea or how this affects us as individuals, but what this whole idea of addressing the mess means for us as a community of Jesus followers as the church and particularly as Suncoast Church with the unique grace and unique vision and mission that we have. What does it mean to be a church that addresses the mess or a church in the mess? Now, if you are a person who's a part of Suncoast Church and also want to point out a, and a big hello to all those viewing in Canberra from Impact Church, if you're not a part of Suncoast Church or Impact Church, um, maybe you're not part of any church or perhaps you're not even a, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or a Jesus follower or maybe even that you know where you stand with God. Please listen in today because it's easy for us to have maybe a whole lot of ideas about what faith is or what church is about from an outsider's perspective. Or maybe you've had a a bad experience. I would love for you today, hopefully, to get an insider's view to what is the heart behind um, not just our local church, but God's idea of His church and to see how we're trying the best we can to outwork this at Suncoast Church and at Impact Church. And so I'm so super grateful you're here and hopefully you're not only get an inside view to what really the mission and heart of the local church is, but ultimately you get an idea of what the heart of God is. And if you are a person who calls Suncoast Church or Impact Church home, well today, hopefully for many of you, won't be anything necessarily new or radically new, but it's an important reminder and an important refresher because, come on, I'm going to say something that you already know. This, you know, what's happening right now, here through a screen, this is not church. This is a chance for us to talk and to commune and to relate and to share. But church is so much more than sitting down and watching something, even if it was live and in a building, which is where this is being filmed filmed right now and hopefully won't be too long until we're gathering uh, in person again en masse. But even that is not church. Church is 
who we are as followers of Jesus coming together, united around the mission of Jesus Christ. So today I wanna take the opportunity to double down on that mission and to re-highlight and remind each other and to encourage one another in why we exist and why we're here. And for those of you that do call this church home, to remind you of why you pray, why you give, why you serve, why we're in this together and the great hope that not only we have found in Jesus, but the great hope we have to bring to the world, even in all of its mess. Now, here's my question for you. Has it ever occurred to you or ever maybe stuck out to you and, and you've noticed how sometimes, for lack of a better word, messy all the ideas around religion can be? I mean, take our own religion, for example. Take Christianity. And in all of its various expressions and beautiful and wonderful forms that it has taken, you know, over the millennia now, uh, I, I just find it so remarkable that from ultimately this book, and, you know, we refer to it as one book. The truth is it's a book of many books and written over over 1,600 years in context and, you know, was compiled about four, around 400 AD in what we now call a Bible where you've got your New Testament and Old Testament books together. It's amazing that from this, this one compilation that we've now you know, bound like this, that there can be so many different takes on faith and on God. And even, from the, even though we can, might read the same words and we see the same life, particularly in Jesus, and yet there's been so many different expressions and outworking. And for someone, and if you're like this, you're from the outside looking in to Christianity, you can go, what? are you guys not all in agreement? It seems to be you can't even see eye to eye on many of the things in your own faith, in your own religion. You know, what, what's up with that? It can often seem messy. I mean, think about it. From the same scriptures, we've got someone who draws so much inspiration and so much life change. And, you know, they turn out like a mother Teresa. But yet history has shown time and time again, people have used the, the same scriptures to justify some of the worst atrocities. I mean, look at a whole lot of the, the tensions that are still around the world right now, particularly in the United States, where even still there's so much pain and fallout from the years of slavery, institutionalized slavery in America. And many people who own slave would quote scriptures to justify their ill treatment of their fellow man. And these are from the same scriptures that could produce people who say, love the world and fight for people, even defend and love your enemies. I mean, it can just that oftentimes, and again, for lack of a better term, it can seem messy. How can we draw such striking, you know, complexities and differences of opinion? Now, of course, there's wrong interpretation, there's wrong understanding, and people can manipulate scripture or any teaching to suit their own needs. We, you know, we can all be guilty of doing that in one way or another, some more extreme clearly than others, but still it can be messy. I mean, take for instance, and I want to look at this one particular instance where Jesus was teaching. And again, I'm holding here, you know, a, you know, a Bible. And I'm going to read from two things Jesus said here. And they both appear on these pages. Look right here. One's here and one's here. I'm going to read them one after the next to show you just how almost radically different two ideas can be from Jesus and how we kind of apply them to our lives. So we'll look at the same, the first one here. This is from Matthew chapter 11. And Jesus is talking to groups of people, so masses of people. And this is in verse 28. This is an amazing, amazing invitation from Jesus. He said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's beautiful stuff. And that invitation from Jesus for 2,000 years has ministered to people who indeed have been burdened and heavy laden and have responded to the invitation from Jesus to come to Him and in His arms and through putting their trust in Jesus have found incredible encouragement, have found life change, have found their burdens in life lifted off. And perhaps you right now watching this, perhaps you've found yourself weighed by the pressures of life and by the complexities and of, of existence at, at times and the burden that can lay on your souls. And Jesus is even given an invitation to you to come to Him and you will find rest for your souls, for your souls. It's so much deeper than just the rest you can get physically or mentally from a holiday or from a weekend or from sleep. This is a deeper rest that is promised to you through Jesus Christ. And so there's this amazing invitation to come to Jesus to find rest. But again, ready? This is where it's like, wow, two radically different things Jesus can teach. So I was just reading from here and I wanna read from down here. Jesus' audience, so this is literally just the chapter before. Jesus, before he said what I just read to groups of people, he was addressing just his disciples, his groups of 12, who he was about to send out for the first time on their own to do ministry. Jesus had given them the same authority he'd had. And so he's kind of given them a pep talk, kind of to get them ready for the task at hand. And he dropped something, I'm about to read to you, he dropped something that is super challenging and almost seems in contrast to what we just read that Jesus, the offer of, of rest and comfort from Him. This is what He said. This is in Matthew 10. So the chapter before and verse 38. He says this to His disciples. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow Me is not worthy of Me. Whoever finds their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for My sake will find it. I mean, you couldn't find two more different, you know, different passages, but yet both from Jesus and both right next to each other. Here is Jesus talking to His disciples saying, hey, if you really wanna come to me, if you wanna be my disciple, if you wanna follow me, you're gonna have to take up your cross to follow me. And it's gonna be the equivalent to losing your life because if you try and save your life, you'll end up losing it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll truly find it. Now, now, we can't misread this, okay? To Jesus' audience 2,000 years ago and Rome occupied Israel, the cross wasn't just symbolic, it was real. It wasn't a religious figure. It wasn't a fashion brand or emblem. The crosses was a tool of Roman torture. So Jesus knew exactly what He was doing when He said, if you truly wanna be my disciples, you must take up your cross and follow me. He associated following Him with like taking up a cross, something that was weighty, something that was difficult, something that was painful, something that would cost you everything. That's a far cry from Jesus saying, come to me if you're weary and burdened and heavy laden and I will give you rest. But yet He teaches both of these. One is to come to Him in front rest and the other is to take up your cross and follow Him. Lose your life for His sake and you will truly find it. And if this is true of the Jesus way, where there can be this, this one hand, this sense of comfort and hope and rest we find in Jesus, but on the other hand, a challenge and a call and a commission to follow Him into the wild and to follow Him in the mess into such a place that could even cost you everything. These are both true of Jesus. If this is true of Jesus, then surely there's a part of being His representatives, being His church, where we would represent the same tension. Where in one part, being 
a community of Jesus followers, that in the middle of a world that is hurting and messy and confused, we would be a sanctuary of comfort, of healing, of hope. And I simply don't mean a building and I don't mean a service. I mean who we are as a community and the ministry we can offer to the world that we, like Jesus, can give an invitation saying, hey, Jesus invited you to come to Him and we wanna invite you into following Jesus Christ. And as a community, we believe in you're gonna find comfort and you're gonna find rest and you're gonna find healing in the body of Christ. That being the church would be a small window of what the kingdom of heaven is like, but here on earth. But then there's another part to it. In the same way Jesus said, you know, follow me. You gotta take up your cross. You gotta lose your life for my sake. There's another part of it where Jesus actively invites us to follow Him into the mess where it will cost us, where it will take courage and where our commitment will be tested. Okay, so you've got these two tensions. And so in light of that tension, I wanna ask the question, what does it look like to be a church in the mess? What does it look like to represent both of those statements from Jesus? What does it look like to be a community that invites people in to know the ministry and comfort and healing found in Christ, but also to follow Him into their calling, to follow Him into the mess and to make a difference in the world, even when it costs you. So our vision as a church, we try to embody this. Our vision of the church, our heartbeat of the church is Jesus and everything. Our vision of the church is to be a church that loves like Jesus and to build a church that the unchurched loves. So let's look at this, how this breaks down. Imagine a church that looks like what Jesus initiated. Imagine a church that represents Jesus' invitation to come to Him and you will find rest for your souls. Many people have found the opposite when they've, when they've attended a church or joined a church. And may us, as Suncoast Church and as Impact Church, represent the heart of Jesus, that when people connect with our church community, they could find rest for their soul, that they would find the message of Jesus lived out and experienced in community. What would it mean for us to be a church that loves like Jesus, that we would be a community that is different to what the world offers, that we would be a community that would embody the hope of Christ and that we would be a community that lives out the radical transformation that is promised in Jesus, operating by a different culture, operating by different values, operating under the idea of what a different wind looks like according to Jesus, to ultimately be a light in a dark world. That people like Jesus offered to come to Him and find rest, that as a church community, we can go, the rest that Jesus offers, we wanna live that out in community. So as people come into this church community, they would be loved like Jesus. You know, there's so many ways that people have tried to live this out and attempted to live this out and successfully lived this out in so many, so many contexts. And one story that has gripped me for so long, and I shared this just last year with our leadership team and our connect group leaders. And I wanna give a big shout out. If you are maybe in your connect group right now, if you're a connect group leader, I wanna thank you so much for helping to create an environment and creating opportunities and room for people to be in community, particularly where we haven't been able to gather in buildings and gather en masse. The fact that you're gathering in homes and in bars and in cafes, I wanna really appreciate you. And if you're not in a connect group, man, hang on to the end of this, uh, the, this sermon today. You'll have an, op- an opportunity for you to be able to be part of a connect group that would best suit you. But people have tried to live this out in the best possible ways and a whole lot of different expressions. But one expression that I found so radical, it is a story 
uh, by a gentleman named Ernest Gordon, and he wrote a book called To End All Walls. Now, many of you might have read this book or maybe seen the film about it, The Bridge on the River Kwai, but ultimately it was the story of his time in a prisoner of war camp in Thailand during World War II. And so he was a soldier who was uh, captured by the Japanese, and the, he explained the state of the, uh, the prison camp they were in. It was the most atrocious conditions. The best way to explain it in a nutshell is hell on earth. I mean, not only was there severe malnutrition, there was no care for the prisoners. Um, there was hard labour. And, and ultimately, if you got sick or if you got injured, there was no hope for you. And if you got into a state where you could no longer do hard labour and you could no longer be in the rest of the camp, they had what they called the death house, where essentially you were laid in there and just left on your own to die. There was no respect for the dead. People weren't buried. The sick weren't cared for. Um, ultimately, the, he goes on to explain how prisoners acted like animals. There was constant stealing. There was violence. It was kind of the environment of survival of the fittest. I mean, they'd even resort to eating dirt. Now, unfortunately for Ernest, he did get sick and unwell. And through malnutrition and the hard labor, he found himself left in the death house to die. Now, as he was laying there, however, something took place during his time waiting to die that he did not expect. Two of the prisoners came and started ministering to his needs and ultimately nursed him back to health. And not only was this welcomed, it was surprising because he hadn't seen this behaviour at all during his time in the camp. And when he inquired as to the change and why all of a sudden this care, no one cared for the sick, everyone was out for themselves. Why all of a sudden the care for him? He quickly found out the change that had taken place and what caused the change in the camp. The story goes that there was one day as the um, Japanese lined up the soldiers, sorry, the prisoners in the camp because they'd, they'd... that um, done account of all the shovels, the working shovels, and one was missing. And so they said, unless someone c- confesses that they stole the shovel, everyone will die. And so as they lined them up to kill the first soldier, one man stepped forward and confessed to stealing the shovel and he was killed for it. However, the next day, they'd realised that the shovel wasn't missing. <laughs> they just counted wrong. And then at that moment, when all the other soldiers realised that one of their colleagues had given his life for them all, the words of Jesus rung true where Jesus had said, greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And from that moment, everything changed. All of a sudden, instead of fighting one another, the prisoners started serving one another. They started helping one another. They started ministering to the sick. They started respecting the dead. Eventually, fast forward a large period of time, they'd built their own version of a university in the camp. They created their own hospital. They even created an art gallery. They even started creating music and having their own concerts to perform it. It was remarkable. But the biggest change, and Ernest Gordon wrote about this in his book, he said, true, there was hatred, but there also was love. There was death, but there also was life. And not only does it tell the transformation of the living conditions and the environment in this prison camp, ultimately his story, based off the inspiration that Jesus showed, it showed the transformation that happened in these men's life. And the transformation was so radical in their lives that when finally the prisoners were liberated from the prison camp, they treated their guards that had been so sadistic and so violent towards them, they treated them with kindness rather than 
revenge. And if you think of the miracle that happened in that prison camp in Thailand, it was no less the creation of an alternate community, a tiny settlement of the kingdom of God taking root in the most unlikely soil. Perhaps this is what Jesus had in mind when he talked about the kingdom of God and how we would outwork this as his church, that we would be a community of life in the middle of a camp of death. And in a world that is hurting and a world that is in such a mess, you know, I could say right now, but the truth is, when hasn't it been? The invitation from Jesus and to his followers is that his church would represent his invitation that in the same way he invited people to come to him and they would find rest and they would find ministry and they would find healing in their souls, that his followers, his church would give that same invitation that we would be a community of life, a community of rest, a community of encouragement as our vision statement is that we would be a church that loves like Jesus, a church in the mess. But then also that we would be a church or build a church rather that the unchurched would love. And this is the second part of what we looked at Jesus said. He goes, if you want to be my disciple, you got to take up your cross and you got to follow me. you got to lose your life for my sake. And that's when you'll truly find it. So imagine a church that followed where Jesus went. What did the church like that look like? To be a church that ultimately our city and those who aren't part of our church would go, we are so grateful that you exist. We might not believe everything you believe. We might not get everything you get, but we are so grateful that you are in our city, a church that the unchurched love. A couple of weeks ago, I had, to my own surprise, I didn't know this was going to happen until this happened. Uh, I was on a, uh, a Zoom call and uh, we're all loving them right now with a whole bunch of pastors from around the world. And we didn't know this was going to happen, but... Um, there was a pastor came on the call who was uh, in Wuhan, China. And of course, with what we're dealing with as a globe right now, Wuhan being the place that's been identified where this virus has started. It was amazing to hear from the lips of a, a pastor in the underground church in China, how they are dealing and how they're ministering and how, how they are being the church and they are being Jesus followers during this pandemic. And he explained how when it first hit Wuhan, and the city started getting locked down. How The pastor explaining how fear just was everywhere. Panic was everywhere. And everyone's instant reaction was self-preservation. How do I look after myself? How do I make sure my interests are looked after? How do I keep myself protected? And we can all understand that, right? But he said, then something happened where it's like a gear change for the Christians in Wuhan. A message quickly spread and encouragement quickly spread around all the churches and all the pastors were sharing this saying, we've got to stop thinking first and foremost about self-preservation. This, I was only literally hearing this pastor say this the other week. He said, and our priority went from self-preservation to how can we now serve our city? How can we serve our neighbours? How can we serve our community? Because the rest of the world is in fear and the rest of the world is panicking and the rest of the world is about self-preservation. But we're not supposed to be like the rest of the world. We are Jesus followers. And His invitation, if we wanna be His followers, is to take up our cross and follow where He goes, 
into the mess. And at times it might be like laying down our lives, but Jesus' promise was, that's where you'll find your life. And hearing this past from Wuhan, China, talk about the radical change that happened in their churches when their focus went from self-preservation to serving the world. He said, this is exactly what Jesus has called us to do. And I'm listening to this being so challenged, but I was like, there it is though. That is church in the mess. And as much as there's an invitation to come to Jesus, to find rest for your soul, to find ministry, there's also the invitation for Jesus to follow Him into the mess and to be His hands and feet to the world and offering the very hope that He promises in Himself. In the Gospel of John, this is an amazing passage. In the first chapter of the Gospel of John, in verse 14, He talks about what it meant for Jesus to enter our mess, to enter the mess of humanity. It says this, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That term word there, it's a Greek word. Essentially means order, as in the difference between order and chaos. And the picture the New Testament writers had here of Jesus coming to earth, God clothing Himself in human form and entering the mess of humanity. It was order, the Word, entering into chaos. The Word didn't stand back and and draw a divide between the two, but the Word entered, order entered our chaos. So the Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And here's how I want to land today and land this series on this idea of being a church in the mess. Jesus, perfect order, came into the mess of the world full of grace and truth. He wasn't part grace and part truth, you know, half of both to make one whole. No, He was full of both. He didn't have to give any away to have more of the other. He was full of grace and He was full of truth. And what's interesting about this, if you look at the life of Jesus, He was criticised generally for one of two things during His ministry on earth. He's either criticised for His teaching, what He taught, His truth, or He was criticised for the company He kept. That in fact, He hung with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and outsiders and outcasts. That's grace. He was either criticised for His truth or criticised for His grace. But yet He came full of both and neither cancelled out the other. And this is, no matter how you try and look at it, this is remarkable that Jesus never had to compromise His unwavering truth in order to offer grace to the world. And yet He never withheld grace to the world that needed it because of His perfect take on truth. He ministered somehow both. And whether I'm right or wrong about this, I just think this is unbelievably beautiful and something for us as His followers to aspire towards and seeing a church represent this. And I look at the life of Jesus and He would always, lack of a better analogy, dish up the plate of truth only after setting the table of grace. He would dish up a meal of truth only after setting the table of grace. As though He had an unbelievable message of truth that brought conviction, that brought change of hearts, that changed minds, that led people to repentance and still does. He would always lead in first with His ministry of grace to people to meet the needs, 
to love people where they're at, to show grace and mercy to the mess that was in front of Him. And so what are the church then that wants to emulate and follow the example of Jesus look like? And a church that looks like both grace and truth, that obviously has a message of truth, but a ministry of grace. A church like this though will mean us taking up our cross. Because it might be easy to pick one or the other, to be known for our great stance on truth or rather be known for our great ministry of grace. But what about both and living in that tension? This is the equivalent in some ways of taking up our cross because to do this, it's not comfortable. And to be this kind of church, it will cost you. And to be this kind of church, it's not convenient, but the invitation from Jesus wasn't for convenience. It was to life. It was to a promise greater than anything the world could offer. He said, if you try and get your own life, you'll end up losing it. But if you lose your life for my sake, then you will find it. And I wonder if this is what a church filled with life is like. We recognise that we have a message of truth and it's a message that will transform lives and it's a message that the world so desperately needs to hear. But we recognise that often the world's ears are deafened to this truth until their hearts are ministered to by the ministry of grace, full of grace, full of truth. So the church that wants to follow Jesus into the mess, we realise we're not here to simply criticise the mess, to judge the mess, to ridicule the mess, but rather our call from Jesus is to heal the mess, to minister to the mess, to love people in the mess, to ultimately address the mess. And when we do that, rather than pulling up walls of separation and want to be some kind of hidden array monastery away from all the brokenness of the world, but decide it is right here in the mess that we're going to serve the world. We're going to love the world. We're going to be an outpost of life and hope in the middle of a messy and hurting dark world. When we do that, we are continuing to build what Jesus Himself started. And it's the prayer that we've been taught to pray, that we pray that His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we commit together, every time we give, every time we serve, every time we pray, when we are together in unity to be a church that loves like Jesus and to build a church that the unchurched love, we are well on our way to being a church in the mess and to being something that would look like a little bit of heaven on earth. I wanna honour you and appreciate you for your commitment, for your prayer, for being here. And if you're new to this, and if you're curious about this, I wanna invite you, check us out, DM us, hit us up. God loves you so much. And the invitation from Jesus is to come as you are, messes and all, and you will find rest for your soul. Before we finish up, I wanna give the opportunity for anyone watching this, whatever your story, your background is, that haven't yet had the opportunity to make your own personal decision to follow Jesus. And you might feel like you've made a million mistakes in your life and that your life is in a huge mess. The good news that you're only ever one decision away from following Jesus. And right now, I wanna lead you in a prayer that takes that first step for you. And anyone can pray this, wherever you're at, whatever season of life you're in, whatever age you are, God loves you. 
And I just wanna encourage you to pray this prayer along with me to take your first step into following Jesus. If you're by yourself, you can pray this out loud. The words will be on the screen or you can pray this quietly in your mind, in your heart. But let's mean it together. We just say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me, accepting me, and for forgiving all of my mistakes. Today I choose to follow Jesus, to accept His grace for my life. Today I put my trust in you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by what you heard and inspired to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. Hope you can join us again on the next podcast or here at Suncoast Church. Thank you.